Hello, hello. Welcome to today's episode of Converging Conversations. My name is Onika Jefferson Cornelius. I am your host and founder of Convergence Solutions, LLC. I'm so excited. We are here to converse, to meet with amazing leaders who join us and share their stories, personal or professional, and share how they've made the connection between who they are, what they do, and how they serve others. These conversations, they're designed to pique your curiosity, challenge your thinking, and encourage you to unleash more of you in the world. I'm excited. Today is a good, good, good day. Um, we have none other than the Ms. Jean Adaro joining us today. Jean is Africa's life coach. She is a personal transformation coach and philanthropist. She guides her clients to fall in love with their dreams. Beautiful. In their cultural rat race to unleash lives of purpose, power, and possibility. As founder of Reimagine Africa, she has led tens of clients to embrace leadership that directly connects to personal legacy. Wow, today's theme and topic, we are exploring what it looks like in a reimagined Africa through the eyes of and heart, right, of one of her daughters. So Ms. Jean, I am so excited to have you. Good day, good day, good day. Exciting. I am exciting. excited to be here too. <laughs> I love having you. It is awesome. Thank you. So Jean, just want to use our some of our time together to give you room to share your story. I would love to start off, talk about a little bit, you know, a little bit about what brought you here today to the conversation to share your story. I think um that's a really, really good question to start with. What really brought me here is that I am passionate about sharing the journey of women of African descent in any space that I have the opportunity to do, to do that, simply because I feel that our stories are underrepresented and they're so needed. And if we share them, we will give other people permission to shine. And so, any chance I get, I jump, I jump at it. <laughs> that is awesome. You know, Jean, I, I think about how long I've known you and seeing you on this journey. And yes. if I go back to some of the conversations that we've had, right, that were not podcast broadcast, they were literally just you and I think about, you know, like many children of Africa, you have a unique perspective and yeah. it's different, you know, it's, it's different than the culture that uh, African-Americans experience, right? But there are yes. also things that are similar about us. How does this shape the work that you're doing both as part of I Am Africa and Read Across Africa? Beautiful. I think in, in order to really share it, I have to go back to where it started for me in this uh, country, in the United States, as moving here as a student, a college student and going to an HBCU. And, uh, recognizing that there was a distinct difference when I came in. I came, it was at the time in the early nineties when Africa was considered the dark continent. And I had grown up actually believing that Africa was the dark continent, even though I didn't know that I did that. I, I you know, it came up, it was interesting from the moment I walked in America, I remember I said, people would ask me where I was from. And when I said Kenya, some people said, you are so lucky. And I was like, why <laughs> am I lucky? 
Right? Did you feel lucky at the time? Did it feel lucky? No. Think about it. I was moving here for a better opportunity. So I was like, I'm lucky to be here in the United States because it was the land of opportunity. Right? So when you look at it from that perspective, for several years, I still, I was living knowing that people think that I am lucky to know my roots, but I still hadn't internalized what that meant that I could sit in spaces and feel absolutely comfortable, not worried about what other races were thinking about me, whereas that was not always the case for African-Americans, right? right? And so um, for the longest, I didn't even understand it. As a matter of fact, I'm just now understanding it 30 years later, right? And so when you look at it from that perspective, um, you I've got to first realize that number one, I am privileged to see the world from that lens and I'm honored to help people of color discover that, that experience by visiting Africa. And I love to do that, like love to be a curator of that experience for African-Americans so that they can see their greatness and take their greatness everywhere they go including to work. Right. That's so powerful. I had the opportunity to, to jump into one of your recent Facebook lives yes. that you were having with Purity, right? It, yes. <laughs> <laughs> that was a, an amazing conversation. And I remember there was one point that as you and Purity were talking, you mentioned this comment. It was so powerful. You were talking about how important it is to journal and yes. write down every desire in your heart and your life. And yeah. that made my heart beat because I'm a journaler. I, I love to write. Yeah. And you also, you know, it spoke to me because I do believe in writing the vision. Say more about that. So the thing is, many of us are walking on this earth on autopilot. So what that means. Wow. Autopilot. Wow. Yes. What that means is that you are conditioned to do things in a certain way, good, bad, or indifferent. Mm -hmm. But you think that you are on a mission but you have never clearly sat down and decided what it is that you want. Everything that you're doing is based on what your parents said you should do, what your culture ex expects you to do, how your job wants you to operate. And so you use that as the driving force for your life, but you have never ever written a vision for your life and said, this is what I want for my spirit. This is what I want for my mind. This is what I want for my body. This is what I want for my family and relationships. This is what I want for my work. And this is what I want for my money. No, you haven't done that. So what I do is I challenge people to number one, look at it. What is it that you want? But before you can even do that, you've got to understand what you're afraid of. Because if you were not afraid, you would have done it. Wow. Well, we'll just jump right in there, Jean, right? It, it, I mean, that is powerful because really that, that is truly probably the biggest blocker, right? Yeah. Because to address what we want, we also have to be willing to face what we don't want. Mm -hmm. And that makes us look at even where we are in that moment. I love that comment. You said when you realize, you know, you feel like you're on a mission, but you're on autopilot. That is right. That's powerful. That's powerful. And I, I recognize it because... 
when I was going to college, I was going to college because other people went to college, but I was on a mission to go to college, <laughs> right? Wow. Because, because other, other people, people were going to college. Yeah. 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 It wasn't, I, I can't say clearly that I was going to be the psychologist that I said I wanted to be at the time. That was back then, right? I, I, I couldn't I couldn't clearly connect it. Nobody had ever explained to me the idea of crafting a path of your own. And so when it was when people said craft a path, I was like, I have a path. <laughs> and so I'm going down this path, which is not even mine. Right? And so the journaling purity and I were talking about purity has been a student of mine. And I challenged us to write it down and it's not a once and done. You That's keep true. crafting this life because it shows up differently and, and you get messages and you get ideas. And so you use all of them to have this active journaling process. That is so powerful. I, uh, I was actually going through a, a, a purge process with my husband yes. and we were going through the ever-evolving garage, <laughs> and I, I which is a story unto itself. But what you said really resonated because I have, you know, training materials, journals, things that I've kept for years mm -hmm. and came across one that I had from, I want to easily say 20 years ago. It was a class that I was going into and we had like a free write session it was probably around the time that my mother had passed away. So mm -hmm. I was already in a very raw place. Right. And I go into this page and it talks about write your dreams down. And I had this list, have my own business, um, children, my home, um, my mate, all of these things. And I literally looked at this list and I kid you not, I literally said to myself, I wrote this down 20 some odd years ago. I'm living in this dream right now. Exactly. Everything that I wrote on that paper, I was li actively living in at that moment. And I was so grateful. I was so grateful. And I shared that with my husband. I said, you know, everything that I dreamed that seemed so far away then, we are living in right now. Right now. So, so the fact that, you know, when you say write the vision, that is, that is true. Right. And the things that seem so big that we're yeah. almost afraid to write. We're not afraid to write them because we're going to fail. We, we, sometimes I think we're afraid to write them because they're going to happen. They're going to happen and you live into it and you cannot believe it. Yeah. That right. So true. So, so these last two to three years, talk to me a little bit about what this journey has been like for you doing I Am Africa. And so for those who are listening and, and join and watch this podcast, Jean is getting ready to have her I Am Africa conference next week uh, here in Atlanta, but she has it here as well as on the continent. I would love to hear more about it. I'm excited. I am going. Can't yeah. wait to be not just a participant, but an observer of this amazing event that she's given birth to. But Talk to me a little bit about what these last few years have been like as you've created I Am Africa as part yes. of your journey. 
Yeah, I think in, in 2015, I was clear that if you had asked me, I would have told you my journey is in change management in corporate America, and I love it. And that's what I'm going to do. I was so clear and moving towards it and enjoyed it so much. And it's, that's, it's what, really, we met, that's right? what we met. That's the life we met in. Yeah. And <laughs> I, I liked, and, and I must say that I'm, even when I hear about it, I still enjoy listening, even though I have now transi transitioned to full-time coaching of, um, of, of uh, leaders and professionals of African descent. That's the niche. Mm -hmm. I will coach anybody, but you have to understand that that's, my, that's the, the uh, road I travel. Women of African descent, men of African descent, that's where I am. And uh, in the, as I was in change management, I was getting restless. And restlessness is my cue to do something different. I've noticed that every so often I get restless. And I started getting restless and I was getting restless because I felt that in corporate America, there was a whole lot of work to do, but the will to do it was not there. And so I used to ask myself, who is interested in, in, interested in changing? Who is really interested in changing? And then I realized it was individuals, which is exactly what we're doing in corporate. But I, wanted, I realized if I wanted to work with people who are truly for transformation, I had to go and find them. In addition to that, they had to sign up themselves. I wouldn't be presenting changes to them. They would be coming to me and saying, this is urgent for me. Help me do it right now. So that's the difference between the organizational change work and working with individuals, right? But and I love that connection because the reality of it is, right? Mm -hmm. You can't change an organization no. without impacting individuals. It happens yes. at the individual level, right? We talked yes. about that. Always, always. It's, it's such a connection. So it's like the work hasn't changed for me. It really hasn't changed. But now what the difference is, it's not coming to you from a leader up somewhere you're actually yeah. signing up and saying, please help me. I know, and, and my two questions I ask um, when I have my intake calls, I ask you, um, how urgent is it? And what are you willing to do to change? Mm -hmm. Because then we, we have something to work with, right? And so in that journey, I start this class. First of all, I started it as a book club, reading the book, Think and Grow Rich from the African context, right? Okay. was something that I, I had I bumped into this book. I went to a conference, Bob Proctor, um, the late great Bob Proctor had a conference and someone invited me and I go. And he keeps talking about this book that changed his life. And I'm looking at him and he looks rich. And I'm like, <laughs> but he's, he just looks rich. You know, these people who walk around looking rich. <laughs> and I'm like, who are you? Which is a look, right? Yeah, it's, it was a look, which is not, it wasn't opulent. It was like he was comfortable in himself. His being was rich, mm -hmm. you know? And then he kept talking from time to time, you know, he would talk about all these ideas. You could change your life at any time and da da da. And I'm, I'm like, I believe all these things. But then from time to time, he'd go back and talk about how he was a loser and all how terrible his life was before. He started reading this one book, Think and Grow Rich. So I was like, you know what? Let me read this book. And I saw exactly what he was talking about. And I thought, what if I started having this conversation from an African perspective and invited people to join me? 
and then their lives changed. And I didn't know what to do. So within the last two years, I have used Think and Grow Rich, created a curriculum out of it uh, from the African context. And we use it not as the class, but kind of like a guide to have certain conversations that are needed, right? And now how does it connect to I Am Africa? The ladies wanted a place to connect. And that's how it became an experience, a conference, whatever it is that everybody has a name for it. But it literally is an experience where women of African descent get together to have the pressing conversations about being first and then doing second, right? And so I had one uh, in 2021 in Atlanta and I had um, 80 to 100 women came. And then I had one in Nairobi um, in April, 2022. And this is the third one. And, and this time I didn't even have to sell it. It sold out within a month, you know? And that is a good experience because once again, remember I said, I wanted people who would opt in and they're opting in. Wow, Jane, that's beautiful. You know, if you think about how this work that you're doing, how it spans so many critical areas, whether that's building community, and and I, I want to leave room and space for Read Across Africa and all that's been happening mm-hmm. in in the community of your ancestors. Would love to hear some about that as well. Yeah. But also around to your point, coaching and mentoring, bringing all of these diverse voices into spaces where they may have never been seen or heard before. Yes, that's that's powerful. Same. Say more about that. So there's something interesting that's happened. Um, I've lived in the United States for 30 years. I went to an HBCU. I've lived in Atlanta. So you know African-Americans are part of my experience. Just love it. Just, I mean, I'm just immersed in it. And I'm lucky because I live in two worlds, right? At heart, I'm a Kenyan and I'm also African-American. Only my consciousness of being an African-American is only 30 years old. Wow. Because I've only been here for 30 years. That's a powerful connection, but realization as well, right? That part of you, she's so young. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Because, and let me go, let me tell you where this is going. Yeah. Your consciousness is 400 years old. Mine is only 30. Okay. Right. And the reason why I say that is because when you draw back to your ancestors, yours goes further in the pain, in the joys than mine does. Wow. Okay. So I cannot, there's some conversations I take myself out of because I cannot understand your pain. Because if I do, if I try to sit in that space with you, I might be careless with it because I don't understand what your ancestors experienced 200 years ago, which is different from mine. Mine were free. Right? And therefore, sitting in this space, I feel like I'm very responsible for connecting both worlds. Right? I can sit in the US and understand your pain, even though I haven't experienced all of it. Because remember, that is in your consciousness. Your grandmother told her grandmother and told her grandmother the stories. And so it has been passed on for generations. 
And I understand right. it, I haven't experienced it, but what my responsibility is as an African person born and raised on the African continent is to welcome you back home, right? And home is not just physical. It's also a spiritual home when we are living in the United States. Wow. Um, <clears throat> that's a very honoring thing to do, right? When you, when you talk about these spaces mm -hmm. that you created, that is a, a, a very real experience. It also brings to mind, you know, as we talk about this intersection, this convergence between who we are, our work, the cultures that we're in, the families that we're a part of, what you just shared is something that I've had in other conversations that black and brown people, we're not a monolith. No. Right? Everybody has not had the same experience, no. um, the same exposure, the same journey. And so we can't bucket anyone or everyone together. No. And what you just said is we can't bucket ourselves always no. together that way. It's very different and we have to honor it. Really, honor. really. Because what's happening is we are in the workplace together, right? And let me bring it yeah. back to I'm Africa. We go back to the workplace together, yeah. right? Yeah. And then we're, we're having conversations about purpose, about careers, about money mm -hmm. and all that. And our experiences mm -hmm. are different. And so we want to be careful not to start fighting each other, right? We are sisters. Yeah. We are sisters and brothers, right? And so sure. in that conversation, if we understand that you have what I need and I have what you need, then there's a sharing. Yeah. And I have watched yeah. a recent community. Yeah. Community. I recently was in Kenya and uh, a friend of mine came home for her. She's Amer African-American, brought 19 of her friends with her on a trip to Ghana, uh, to yeah. Kenya, and then to Tanzania. And I happened to be there on the Kenya part. And there were two things. Um, when I said welcome home, they knew I meant it, right? The second yeah. thing is this, I was able to see what they crave when they are here. There's a certain emptiness and, a, and searching for belonging that I witnessed mm -hmm. them receiving, okay? And that is yeah. what we, that is the, the root of I am Africa is so that we can sit in spaces and belong without feeling like um, I belong more because I came from the continent of Africa. That is beautiful. Right? Wow. So, yeah. You know, as we think about the conversations, right, around diversity and inclusion and belonging, being included is not the same as, as feeling a sense of belonging. They're not the same. They are not and the same. They are not the same. Um, because you include me does not mean that you created an environment yeah. where I feel yeah. like I belong. Right. Right. It represents me that looks like me, that sounds like me, that feels like me. Totally right. different outcomes. Right. Right. It's beautiful. Beautiful. Wow, gosh, this is awesome. Um, <laughs> question for you. Yes. You mentioned this difference in this journey of the 30-year-old. Mm-hmm. African-American side of you, if you could talk to your younger self, if you think about everything she's been through, if you could step back in time and talk to her and encourage her, what would you say to young Jean? I would say you know exactly what you need because you have it. It's already there. 
The us and them that you felt was not real. Ooh. It wasn't real. It was, it was uh, because maybe resources were lacking that you thought it was real. You thought you were fighting for something. It wasn't real. Oh my right? Gosh. You are and they are and literally we are the same person. We're the same woman. And I say this, you know, I would say to my younger self, you know, your mom, Jean, she's exactly like Onika's mom. <laughs> my mother is your mother, Onika. Jean? <laughs> I didn't know that then. Yeah, that is. And, and, and I tell you, they are amazing. They were amazing. Yeah. And I tell you that now, because when I watch my friends, African-American friends, I'm like, I know you, I know you so well, because <laughs> I know your mom, I know your grandmother, because she's my mom, she's my grandmother. You know, I literally know what she did for you. I know her sacrifices. I know how she would do anything for you to make sure that you were successful. I know what she gave up for you. And I know when she was broken and, you know, because there's some people who said they have, I have not had a, an amazing relationship with my mom. And I'm yeah. so glad that we are now having the conversation of what happened to her. Why is she the way she is, right? It wasn't that she didn't love you, it's that she didn't know how. So those are, those are the kinds of conversations that I have with the younger gene. That's powerful. Right before we wrap up, oh gosh. Um, one more question. So if you could wave mm -hmm. a magic wand, that was yes. the thing. Mm -hmm. How would you rebuild, how would you rebuild the African diasporan community? Right? What would that look, feel, and sound like? Uh, I think I'm already doing it. I have a wand. <laughs> I I think um I would open it up to have conversations, starting with um the African from the diaspora. The, one, the ones who currently, who were born and raised there. That's where I'm yeah. starting. And I feel like I actually have the wand because the <laughs> conversation has, I feel like we own the, the we, we are responsible for the start, starting the conversation because we are the ones who are still there, who still feel like, you know, our ancestor, we know where, we know the tree where our ancestor was buried, right? That's their gravesite. Yeah. So, because we have that, I feel that the conversation, starting the conversation belongs to us. And so I want us to know that we must welcome those who were taken from us. Because, okay. let me take it further. Okay. If Kwame Nkrumah, the first president of Ghana, did not go to Lincoln University, an HBCU, in the 50s, he would not have gone back to Ghana and led the independence of Africa. Ghana was the first country that was independent, right? All the others followed after, not because they were not doing anything, but there was something that he understood about his Africanness when he came here to the, and participated in the conversations about the civil rights movement that got him to see that Africa's freedom from the British and the 
whoever had colonized Africa was important. That's how connected we are. Right? So our freedom, your civil rights freedom is our independence story because it was happening at the same time. So we have to restart that conversation so we can do business together, so we can be uh, go to college together, so our children can get to know each other, so that we can yeah. restore what was broken across the continent. Then in the workplace, in business, in all yeah. kinds of spaces, we become the power that everyone else is afraid of. Mm. Which is really interesting, right? Because there shouldn't be fear. Right? No. There, there, there's no reason for there to be fear. If anything, there should be joy, right? That there's yeah. across this yeah. stance and this space. Because the space is both literal and figurative, right? It is. And it is. That's powerful. It is. Wow. We could probably talk forever. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so thank you so much. I want to thank you again for this time with me. Uh, you know, one of the things that I like to do as we wrap up the podcast episodes is to do just a one word check-in. Yes, I love and it. So my one word check-in or check-out as we sort of surrender this space is excitement. I'm excited to watch you do and inhabit the space that you are in fully, fully and that you're sharing and I get a chance to partake in this journey. Yeah. Both watching as an observer, as a fan, and I get to I get to party next week with, with, with all of you. So I am so so excited. So yeah, that's my word. What about that's you? Your word. What's my word? Um positive. I'm positive about the future. Wow. Wow. That's optimistic. Beautiful. Positive and optimistic. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Pretty much the same vibe. <laughs> awesome. Jean, thank you so much for the time together today. Thank you. Thank you. This has been amazing, amazing. I'm going to have to have you back. I've actually been thinking about, not even thinking about, I actually have written that down that I want to do an episode exploring the HBCU experience. And so the fact that you mentioned it today has confirmed that. because that's not an experience that i've had but i have seen the byproduct of it show up yeah it was it was very important for me yeah and so i want i want to explore so i'd like to you know i've never talked about it though for sure yeah Yeah. would love to so everybody thank you so much for joining gene and i today (laughs) on our episode about what does it mean to reimagine and re-experience Africa through the eyes of one of its daughters, Miss Gina Darrow. We love your feedback. So please, uh, as you get a chance to listen, create a space, join us in having these conversations, sharing questions. Uh, you can stay engaged with us. We'll have the, the podcast on all the platforms and we look forward to bringing you into this space with us again the next time. Jean, thank you so much. Thank you. All righty.